0: this episode of Parallax views is brought to you by the $10 tier and above supporters of parallax views on patreon.com/ parallax views and those supporters get a producer's credit shout out on each and every edition of the show. So producers credit shout outs to mark. Arlen, Spartacus, Gunner, Ed, Grass, James, Mickey, Brian, The Warner, The Forty Two Group, Nick, Emilia, Chase, Chris, Orc, Black Tuna, Nathan, David, Holland, Martin, Stu, Jeffrey, Thomas, Elliot, Colin, Michael, Matthew Ho, Brace, Galen, Chance, Justin, Nick W, and the Mirror Project, M E E R. Thank you again to all of those $10 tier and above supporters on my Patreon page. You can join them at patreon.com slash It's those Producers Credit supporters that can really help this show keep going, and their support is very much appreciated. Hey there Parallax Views listeners, on this edition of the program, we're going to be delving into a topic that I don't believe I've covered before, namely video games. Specifically, how a dedicated and passionate grassroots team of hackers were, with the help of a trusty little robot, able to create a brand new way of experiencing a Nintendo 64 classic namely The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, on an unmodified cartridge. In doing so, they were able to alter the game in real time during a speed-running charity event known as Games Done Quick. This alteration allowed for a completely new experience of the game, essentially creating an entirely new and shocking ending to The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time that fulfilled the wishes and dreams many had regarding certain elements of the game over the past 23 years. Simply put, video game hacking was utilized to create a work of transformative art. Joining us to discuss the whole story are two of the key players in the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time Beta Showcase, or as it's become known now, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time Triforce Percent Showcase at Games Done Quick. Soren, the showcase's director, and Dwango AC, the keeper of Taskbot. With all that being said, let's get right to it with Soren and Dwango AC. Welcome to Parallax Views. Soren and Dwango AC. Uh, two people that were involved in a rather interesting project at the Games Done Quick uh, showcase. Uh, They recently had a showcase for the Ocarina of Time that's become known as the Triforce Percent Showcase. It was uh, initially called the Beta Showcase. Uh, But this was a really interesting project, and we'll learn about why. But it really creatively expanded a game, and I would say Achieve the dreams that a lot of fans of this Ocarina of Time uh, Legend of Zelda game have been, you know, wanting for years. So I'm always interested in the ways in which uh, people in a grassroots way can really creatively expand an existing property. And I want to thank Soren and Duango AC for coming on the show. Uh, maybe we can start with introductions. Uh, Soren, do you want to go first?
1: Sure. Um, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Soren. I'm, uh, I've am i been involved in the uh, N64 and Ocarina of Time community for many years. Um, outside of that, I am an engineer, electrical engineer, just finishing up my PhD. Um, I did a lot of tools development. Um, I worked on music tools. And then I ended up working on other tools during the production of, of Triforce Percent. Um, and for Triforce Percent, I was the director. I was responsible for making probably more, more than half of the actual assets and content, all the code and everything. Uh, that was shown in the project. Um, and, you know, also, you know, doing the director kind of roles of, of, you know, managing things and, and overseeing, overseeing the project.
0: And of course, uh, Duengo AC, you're known as the the keeper of TaskBot. And you In the video of this, you have TaskBot with you in uh, the background, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about TaskBot.
2: Sure. I am Dwango AC. I am referred to as the Keeper of TaskBot because it's the most convenient way to handle it. I started the TaskBot community back in 2013. Didn't mean to at the time, but that's how it happened. Uh, TaskBot has been at a number of Games Done Quick charity events over the years, and it's just been an amazing uh, process of turning playing a video game perfectly on a console in front of a live audience into something that's now helped raise over $1.3 million for various charities i brought it was brought into this project by soren uh all the way back in i believe it was january of 2020 right before the pandemic and came in ultimately as the executive producer of the uh showcase and i couldn't be happier with what we did i mean i literally i could not be happier with what we we were able to produce with the ocarina of time showcase
0: if you could and and i want to get into how this all came together but uh, maybe you could explain to listeners that are a bit out of the loop what what is Taskbot, um, and and maybe you could give a an overview, maybe for newbies.
2: Sure. So I'm actually going to start with what a tool-assisted speedrun is, because that's going to be the foundation of everything we'll be talking about today. Although the beta showcase was very unusual in how it went about doing tool-assisted speedrun content, but more on that in a second. So a tool-assisted speedrun is kind of what it sounds like. It's a speedrun that is assisted using various tools. And those tools are typically an emulator of a target video game console. For instance, the FCEUX emulator for the Nintendo Entertainment System or BizHawk for that same system and several others that allows you to take the original console, something like this old yellowed Super Nintendo and emulate everything about it perfectly. Well, not perfectly. I would like it to be perfectly emulated, but or emulated well enough that it, it's it's uh, accurate to the original console to the point that we can then create a playback of the video game as fast as possible. So a normal speedrun is going to be a human playing through a video game as fast as possible using their own human skills. A tool assisted speedrun is the same thing, but it's more akin to a composer taking the time ahead of time to put a piece of music together. They have all the time in the world to figure out what they want it, want their composition to sound like. And in the case of a tool assisted speedrun means that you can start playing a video game. You can, in the emulator, pause it, you can go back in time, try make a save state, go back to that point, try something. If you fail, there's no consequence. You just load your save state again and try something different. You can use different techniques of slow motion or frame advance, uh, memory watch to peek into the memory of the system, all kinds of tools to peek into what's actually happening in that console. Now, once you're done with this process of iteratively making a save state, trying to, for instance, jump over a Goomba very quickly, failing, trying a different technique, finding a result you're satisfied with, moving forward, making a new save state and repeating until you go all the way through the entire game. At the end, what you have is what we call a tool-assisted speedrun movie file, a TAS movie file. It's nothing more and nothing less than a sequence of button presses in order that completes the game perfectly. Where TASBot comes in is taking what was made in the emulator and playing it back on the real console. And it can be very beautiful seeing this happen because you turn on a video game console with the original hardware, the original cartridge, and suddenly you're seeing gameplay on an original device that seems impossible because we're no longer held to the limits of human skill, luck, reflexes, or memory. We can now play back a sequence of button presses perfectly. And I kind of call that process somewhat similar, or I described this process somewhat similarly to a player piano. In a player piano, you have a piano roll that has a bunch of perforations in the paper that line up with all the keys on the keyboard. And a composer ahead of time created a song that is being played back on this player piano. It does nothing more, and nothing less than play back a sequence of notes in order to play the song. We're doing the same thing with TaskBot. We're taking our friend TaskBot here, we're plugging him in to video game console. He has a variety of replay devices he can connect to. The one we used was the Tastium 32 device made by Onosaurus. We connect him into a video game console, and he plays back a sequence of button presses instead of notes. And he's able to play back what we made in an emulator perfectly. The big thing that happened in 2013 was Taspot becoming a thing. At that time, he was a Rob robot with Legos on him. But uh, we started with that simple event and worked our way up for the last several years now. So that's kind of the backdrop of the whole aspect of tool-assisted speedruns and how they they play into TaskBot. But there's a whole lot more to the story for your next few questions.
0: <laughs> so I want to get into, but before we get into all the, the sort of technical aspects, uh, in case I have listeners uh, that aren't as involved with gaming, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about this game, Ocarina of Time, and how... It, it really is an important game and it, it's created a sort of legacy. Uh, and I, I think there's just a huge community for it at this point. I know I was a fan growing up. So uh, one of the interesting aspects of this game is that, you know, there's this object, right? The the Triforce and players always wanted to get the Triforce at the end of the game, but it seemed like there was no way to get it. Uh, so what I want to ask you, Soren, is how did the idea come about uh, for a sort of speed run, um, like this, like the beta showcase, where you're able to obtain the Triforce. Where, where did the idea come from for you?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this is a it it, it didn't originally come from me. There were when as soon as the game came out, um, you know, people were thinking about and you know wanting to get the Triforce. And there, there's really two reasons for that. One is that in A Link to the Past, which was the big Zelda game before Ocarina of Time on the Super Nintendo. Once you defeat Ganon, you walk into a room and get the Triforce, and then you have your wishes fulfilled, and like that's the big reward at the end of the game. And so that doesn't happen in the plot of Ocarina of Time, and so people, you know, people felt robbed or or something like that. And then the other reason is that when Nintendo was in the in the midst of early development of Ocarina of Time, and they were marketing the game that didn't even exist yet, they made a scene where. In Ocarina of Time, it was you know an alpha version of Zelda 64. Um, Link goes into this room in the Sacred Realm and sees the Triforce come out of this chest in front of him. So Nintendo made that scene and they put it on in advertisements that went out on TV in you know in Japan or, or maybe around the world. I'm not sure. Um, and so then people saw screenshots of that and people saw the clips of that ad. And so I literally seen it happen that Link gets the Triforce and then the game comes out and they can't do that. And that scene isn't, you know, isn't in the game. So, you know, this was the early days of the Internet. There were all kinds of urban legends and hoaxes and people talking about how to get the Triforce. There was uh, and, you know, there, it was all fake at that time um, because that scene is not in the game cartridge. That was made by Nintendo and then they, you know, scrapped that at some point in development for whatever reason. Um, you know, the, the plot of Ocarina of Time is quite good. So I don't I don't really blame them for taking that out of the plot and having it not be that way. But um, you know, people saw them that they wanted it. People made up stories about how to get it, which weren't true, but this was the earlier days of the internet. So you've seen some post that says you have to do these crazy steps in order to get the Triforce and people would follow it and you know it wouldn't work or whatever. Um, so yeah, that that's where that came from.
0: And if you could, why is there such a large community around Ocarina of Time? Is it just that it's the first 3D Zelda game? What what do you think? Like, why are you so connected to the game? I guess that's what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that. So, um, you know, sort of at the large scale objective perspective, um, it was the first 3D Zelda game. It was one of the best early 3D games at that time. Um, It was, you know, really immersive. It still holds up to this day in a lot of ways, though a lot of other, you know, in other ways, it, it's, you know, not aged well, but, um, you know, it, it really had a lot of impact on a lot of people. Um, it also is the highest rated game of all time. It is the only game with a 99 on Metacritic. There are several games that have 98, again, in some ways that, you know, obviously it has not uh, held up, but in a lot of ways it has. As far as me personally, um, it was, one of the, I wouldn't say necessarily one of the earliest games I played, but um, I, uh, you know, I got an N64. I wasn't allowed to have video games when I was little. I got an N64 when I was a teenager, which was already sort of in the GameCube era. Um, I I started out with Yoshi's Story on N64. Then eventually I got Mario 64. Friend recommended Ocarina of Time to me. I got Ocarina of Time. So it was, um, you know, it was, I guess I would say my uh sort of second big 3D adventure game after Mario 64. And, you know, Mario 64 didn't have nearly the kind of immersive world and and depth of, you know, depth of of story and everything that that uh, Ocarina of Time did. So that's where it all started for me. And then, of course, I played other Zelda games later and continued to get invested in the series. But Ocarina of Time is where it all came from.
0: And I was just going to add to that real quick. I, I think one of the reasons this game uh, has such a lasting legacy it's because it really is, um, I, I think it's one of the first games where you almost felt like you're playing it, but you're also almost watching a movie unfold. It's a very cinematic game in a lot of ways, uh, and the story is pretty incredible. And it was the first time anyone had seen anything like that in, in a sort of 3D game. Uh, so moving on from that, how does the Triforce percent run come about? Like, What led you to say, hey, maybe there's a way that we can do this, where we can fulfill this dream of uh, fans of this game, uh, you know, to get the Triforce finally.
1: Yeah, so I think it might be best for me to explain ACE and SRM, or at least ACE in general, before I answer that question. Um, so, within, you know, within the within the speedrunning, you know, subgenre of video games, and video games is huge. Speedrunning is huge within video games. Um, there is a there is a concept called arbitrary code execution, um, and this is the holy grail of glitches, exploits, techniques in a game. Um, if that is found, then that sort of opens the door for you know every anything in some ways. And I'll I'll get into more details, but uh, oftentimes ACE or arbitrary code execution is uh, is done in, con- in conjunction with tool-assisted speedrunning, uh, because oftentimes it requires very, very complicated, precise setups that only a robot could do. Um, but that is not universally the case. And in most of the games now that have arbitrary code execution exploits, they are used by human speedrunners as well. So for example, arbitrary code execution was, for- was found in uh, Super Mario World. And at first it was TAS only. And now the human world record speedrun of Super Mario World is 42 seconds. And the speed run is just do the ACE setup and then beat the game. So what ACE actually means, arbitrary code execution means is there's two steps. Step one is you write some data into the game's memory just using normal gameplay actions that this data represents code in some way. So for example, Um, in Super Mario World, there's a table of where all of the sprites are on screen. And so if you throw shells at specific X coordinates, you can set up the bytes of that table to be whatever values you want based on where the X coordinates are. So you could set them up to, let's say, spell out a word in English, or you could set them up to spell out code for the CPU. And by itself, that doesn't do anything. It's just those shells are at those coordinates. But then step two is that you use some sort of glitches to get the CPUs processor, to get the the processor's execution to jump to that memory and start executing that data as code. And at that time, then the processor is now executing code that you, the player, wrote. Normally, of course, it's executing code that's on the cartridge that was written by the developers. But with arbitrary code execution, that means you get to write in your own code into the context of the game and have it executed in the game. And, you know, as a, ACE is a, a subset of the speed running you know world the speed running world has rules that you can't you know modify the rom in advance you can't solder things onto the motherboard you can't do anything like that that modifies the game in advance you have to start with real console real original cartridge no modifications you just take a controller you press buttons and then whatever happens in the game happens or if it's a tool assisted You take the game, you take the console, you plug Taskbot into the controller ports, and then Taskbot presses buttons very quickly, and whatever happens, happens. So you you could argue that this is cheating, but it's not cheating within the speedrun rules of a basic any percent, anything goes, uh, you know, run of a game. And so normally ACE is used to, uh, you know, because it's something that is is done by speedrunners, it's used to speedrun quicker. So if you can if you can run your own instructions your own code within the context of the game you can write in a little code that will say jump to the ending and then once you get that code to run the game starts playing the ending and then you've beaten the game um, so, and again real, some real people quick, will say sorry yeah
0: if I could so it would um and I'm I'm not I'm a little bit ignorant of some of this so I, I know with Ocarina of time there's people that have done speed runs where you know they they press uh buttons in a certain way. When they're in the, I think it's in the Deku tree, the beginning of the game, and they can literally jump to the ending where they fight, you know, Ganon at the end. Is that an example of AC?
1: Yes, absolutely. So that is the same Ace exploit that we used as a slight variation on that in order to do Triforce present. Um, but yeah, I was just trying to trying to give the, the explanations. This is used in Pokemon, on Game Boy, all of those versions in order to beat the game as fast as possible. You somehow corrupt the save file. Write some instructions in your in your inventory, and then get the game to execute them, and you beat the game. Or in uh, Super Mario World, Super Mario Brothers Three, Ocarina of Time on N64, the the, the routes for Ocarina of Time on other consoles don't use Ace, but uh, on N64, if you want to beat it as fast as possible, it's it's with Ace. Um, and there's there's a couple other games like that.
0: So then you also mentioned uh, SRM. What is SRM for people that maybe be on so?
1: Yeah, so SRM is uh, stands for stale reference manipulation. And this is the exploit or the set of exploits that allows us to get arbitrary code execution in Ocarina of Time. So that's you know, that that's the method. And I won't go into too much detail of that in this talk because we're trying to keep this less technical. But the very, very brief idea is um, link is holding an item. Link's code has a reference to that item. You do some glitches and lock the camera and get the item to unload while Link is still holding it. And then you get some code for a different item to load into the same memory where that item was. And now, when Link is carrying around what was the item, Link is now overwriting data over that code for this other item. And that's how that's the beginning. We can just sort of get a couple of bytes within one instruction to be overwritten how we want them, and that's enough for us to sort of string together that with some other, uh, you know, some other setups and some other exploits in order to eventually get complete control over the game. Um, so, yeah, is is that is that enough at a... Yeah, we, yeah. I so, think so like, the SRM
0: stuff, would that be like... Like, I've seen videos where you have, you know, Link's holding a rock, but then he's not holding it, but he's still in that position where he looks like he's holding it. Right. Is that, like, the, the image sort of of it?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. So, when you know he's holding the rock, he goes through a loading zone off screen, the rock despawns, but he's still holding it, and it is now this unused memory. We get something else to load in there, so now he's holding, which really just means he's updating this position and rotation of, of whatever is this target, but now the target is the middle of the code of something else, and so it starts, you know, he's, he will be overwriting. With these position and rotation values, overwriting something which isn't position and rotation values at all, but but some part of code. And then we can use that to, to go farther. So um, so yeah, to to tie this back to your question about, you know, how did this all come to be? Uh ACE has been used. I'm not actually sure where the fir- when the first ACE exploit in any game was found, but it has been around for many years. Um, in uh, you know, in Pokemon, uh, Pokemon and Game Boy. This has been used for many interesting things. There's been um, tool-assisted speedruns which used Ace to then replace Pokémon with other games on screen, have little game parts of gameplay with from other games, and then eventually show a video of SpongeBob, all through controller input on the Game Boy. Um, And uh, there was another person who, uh, Mr. Cheese, um, who used Ace exploit in Pokémon to. Set to basically create a a persistent hack in the game that made a urban legend of Pokemon come true. Um, specifically, there is a there was this urban legend that there was this truck in one of the cities. Uh, and, Mew under the truck. And, right, right. So um, you could use strength on the truck and push the truck, and you would find Mew under the truck. And we so finally get just, the
0: legendary pokemon the 151st one
1: <laughs> right so so the, the point is that somebody the mr cheese used ace to make that urban legend real by reprogramming the aim so that if you did that thing that was the urban legend you would actually get that reward which you know normally nothing happens if you if you do that in the game so with all of that in mind you know i i had been thinking about oh there, there's urban legends for ocarina of time at, you know, until until a few years ago, there wasn't an ace exploit for Ocarina of Time. I still love the game. I still wanted to contribute to it. And I still, this is sort of an important part of it. it Ocarina of Time is a sort of an unresolved entity as itself. It, it, the story, you know, it resolves at the end, but there's still a bunch of loose ends that aren't tied up in the plot. There's these three different timelines that are formed. Link doesn't really have a satisfying finale. You don't get the Triforce. Because the game was also originally on the Nintendo 64 disc drive expansion, and then it was moved to the N64 cartridge, there is a bunch of uh, uh, like elements in the game that that point outside itself. There's like dialogue from NPCs that refers to things that aren't really there in the game, um, that are like just sort of just offhand references to things. And also, left in the game in the in the console, sorry, in the cartridge, there are little pieces of beta content that are also not in the final game that also sort of refer to various larger aspects of the game. So this this whole time, and then of course with the with the whole urban legends about the Triforce and everything, what the game was was always this larger piece than the what was actually there playable on the cartridge. And everybody sort of always knew about these larger aspects, whether they were beta or or urban legends or or just you know desires for for what people wanted out of the game. And so, you know, with all of that in mind, I have been thinking for several years, even before the Ace exploit was found, in Ocarina of Time, before SRM was found. Um, I was thinking about, hey, it would be great if somebody found Ace someday, so that we could use Ace to program in a cutscene where Link gets the Triforce and then fulfill these urban legends, um, and you know, make 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 everybody's sort of, of dreams of the game finally come to fruition. And so, in late 2019, in November 2019. The exploit was found. You know, nobody knew whether it would be found, but eventually this exploit was found. Um, and within a week, I started a Discord server, you know, private Discord server, and the GitHub repo to make a proof of concept of this. Um, a couple of months later, I approached Dwango AC at Magfest, asking him to be the executive producer, and you know, it, then the, the project started. And, and now we can go into more of the, the details of the project in a future
2: question. And my life changed substantially from that moment on.
1: So r-
0: real quick here, I just want to note uh, for my listeners. So if you ever play this game, you know, you can pause it and you'll see all the different items like cats. Right. And in the game, you collect all these medallions and they're all surrounded by the Triforce. Right. But the Triforce isn't um, isn't lit up in the menu screen. And I think that's why people would look at that and be like, well, you know, all the medallions are lit up when you get them. There has to be a way to get the Triforce. And I, I'm, I'm pointing that out just because I really think that, you know, there was a lot of reasons uh, people dreamed of like, you know, how, how do I get the Triforce? And also I think you're right, um, Soren that it, it, the game has like, a, it, it's kind of a sad ending in a lot of ways for Link. So I think people always wanted to imagine um, a, a different ending for an already great story and a great ending in and of itself. But you know, in a way, what you ended up doing, um, you and the rest of the team, was to give something even more uh, to to sort of fulfill um, the wishes of a whole community that wanted to see something else. Uh, so, in regards to uh, the beta elements, uh, what what do we mean by beta elements of a game? If if I have listeners that aren't as um, uh, aware of what that means technically,
1: right. So, when a game is developed, um, it goes through multiple phases there's pre-production then there's generally alpha and then beta and then release um and there aren't necessarily sharp lines between those uh, but alpha is traditionally just like first version of implementing all of the features and the contents of the game um so you know it's going basically from zero to complete but not you know not really complete um and then beta is you know, polishing things, fixing bugs, you know, other other types of work like that, and then you release. So um, in, you know, when when the developers make a game, they, they create, you know, various versions of things. They create assets and they create things and that end up not being used or are just like earlier versions of things that are replaced with a better version. Um, and sometimes they forget to delete the unused stuff, the old versions of stuff when they ship the game. And this happens with you know most games. I would say almost have some sort of unused or, or beta contents left left over. And but so, what would a really
0: what would a really good example of this be? Like uh, of something we know so about? So we
1: showed we showed several of them. Um, the first the, there there's so there's two two uh at the beginning we showed actually some debug contents also. There's an inventory editor um that we is is you know the code for this is left in the cartridge, but we had to basically set a variable that is never set normally, but you set this variable, turns on the inventory editor, it's a screen that lets you just give yourself all the items or you know, whatever you want. Um, there's other beta content. Let's say there's the beta version of the Kokiris. The Kokiris are this little forest race of, of perpetually young children, sort of like Peter Pan in the forest. Um, and there's the final designs which are used in the game. And then there's like several different beta versions of them. And there's these, so there's these 3D models that are left in the cartridge in the data, that you know, people have been going through this data since the game came out. You know, soon after the game came out, and you know, pulling out all the extra assets and everything and looking at them. Um, there's the the uh, beta great fairy, the 3D model for the beta great fairy. Um, there's also things where there's some indication in the code or some indication in how things were made that there was perhaps an intention that something could be different or that at some point in development it was different, but it's not really like a full. Um, you know, mechanic or system that is actually there that we just had to to bring back. Um, so there's a couple of instances of that too. Yeah.
0: Real quick, I was gonna say uh, some of the, these beta elements they were known about before you guys did the the showcase. So like, um, I, I guess the Star Fox crossover that they had in the game, where you know you would, you would have the R wing from Star Fox show up and you know Link could destroy it. Um, and I guess right. they had that in the beta version for testing purposes. But uh, th- these little elements are still in the game. You can sort of summon them into it, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, with the R wing, it was uh, they made that. You know, the actual developers made that to test uh, physics for the fire dragon, which flies around in a sort of a serpentine pattern, like like the R wing does. So they you know they tested it with the R wing first, and then they just you know left that in the final version. So you can never access it through normal gameplay. But if you have a game shark. Or you have arbitrary code execution, or of course, if you just modify the ROM in advance, um, then you can, you know, you can see it. So yeah, so all of this beta stuff, um, and again, you know, a lot of the stuff that we showed was not actually left on the cartridge. A lot of the stuff that we showed in the showcase was not actually left on the cartridge. But the, the contents that were left on the cartridge, that was all known about. This has been up on the Cutting Room Floor, which is a website that is devoted to you know beta and cut content in video games and other media like that. Um, and, you know, some of these things were known about back in 1998. You could run a Game Shark code and see the R-Wing and, and things like that.
0: So, uh, Dwango, if I could um, ask you for a second. You said it, things sort of changed once this project started coming together. What, what were maybe the challenges um, you faced? Uh, both of you, if you want to comment on that.
2: Yeah, I'll hop in. First of all, I had not played Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time as a kid. I skipped over that phase entirely. I never had a Nintendo 64 of my own. I played it on the Wii. I purchased it on the store ages ago, played through it uh, with all of the benefits and disadvantages of being on a Wii. Um, but it was not my game from growing up. My game from growing up was Link to the Past. So I didn't have the familiarity with Ocarina of Time that I should have when we started this process. And uh, I learned a lot in a very very short amount of time. But in some ways, I think Soren would agree with me on this one. I didn't quite fully grasp exactly how monumental this was until much later in the process (laughs) like i didn't realize exactly how big of a deal this was going to be until substantially later than i really should have Uh, how did it change things i would say that of all of the things that we've done under the taskbot banner this is the most moving thing we've ever done and may ever do and largely that is because of soren soren very much did do more than half of the effort on this but he also had the smarts to pull in other people who were experts or very skilled in certain areas whether that was voice actors or artists very very fascinating work around how do you write design a plot for this so he brought in really good writers Uh, there were so many people that got pulled into this project to make it a sum of uh, some of a hole that's much larger than any one of us could have done on our own, uh, and I just felt really honored to be able to be part of something this monumental. In some ways, I still feel a little bit guilty that uh, a lot of folks are attributing it more to just the general Taskbot community than Soren himself. So, <laughs> and that doesn't even begin to touch on the skill of Save State. We could not have done this without such a talented runner. Trust me, we tried. <laughs> not because of Save State, but they're amazing uh we just couldn't pull it off without a talented human being and uh it's just interesting how it took all of these different elements coming together to make this project happen
0: Real, real quick if you could um maybe you could explain how so save state's the human speedrunner and then how does taskbot like like how, how do you go from the human speedrunner to taskbot maybe you could
2: sure i'll ta- tackle that one right quick so Soren had a much better setup than I did. He built out four different cables for safe, safe state to use, and each one had a switch so you could have it be human controlled or controlled by TaskBot. Uh, that went to a either a, a human controller or headed off to the replay device, the TaskTM32 replay device that TaskBot holds, the one that was made by Onosaurus and had firmware edited by... Uh, originally by the Moss 3212, uh, but then all, further modified by Soren himself. Uh, so that that gives us the ability to have a human or task bot on any of the four controller ports. And what this looks like is save state, place through the game. They do an amazing job of getting to a point where Ace can be triggered by using very specific camera movements that I can't do. I, I tried. Other people have tried practicing. It's very difficult to get it right. Uh, yes, there are other people who have pulled off ACE and it's very similar to the, uh, the, uh, what's basically the Any% percent N64 run of Ocarina of Time, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. It's, it's actually quite difficult. Um, basically what we did is had save state connected to controller port one. They played through until they were ready to trigger the ACE. We then moved controller port one to task spot had TaskBot connected to controller ports one, two, three, and four, and had TaskBot take over. TaskBot unpaused the game, played through a portion to trigger the initial several stages of bootstrapping to get complete control of the console. All work done by Soren based on the shoulders of giants that <laughs> came before us who found a lot of these ways of doing it. And uh, at that point, we now have complete control of the console. That means we can now switch controller port one back to save state they're able to continue playing while we continue to use taskbot to feed data into controller ports 2, 3 and 4 dumping data directly into the expansion memory pack area while SafeState state continues to play so we have both save state and taskbot playing at the same time and this was incredibly unusual and very different than anything we had ever done with taskbot before
0: so taskbot essentially taskbot is able to sort of um I mean, I'm, I'm putting this in like the, the layest of layman terms, but uh, basically Taskbar is able to press all the buttons quicker than any human could.
2: Correct. And really, that's all we did. In fact, the best way to phrase this and the way that Soren phrased it in the Ocarina of Time Beta showcase was we did nothing more and nothing less than press a lot of buttons very carefully and very precisely to generate everything that we showed.
0: I noticed that that's one thing that was constantly mentioned uh during the hour long showcase. The other thing that gets mentioned a lot is that this was all done with an unmodified N64 cartridge so, sort So of maybe you could explain why you reiterated that point during the showcase and what that what that means to people. Like what 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 does it mean that what, like
1: why did you emphasize that point? I guess that's what I'm asking.
2: Yeah. So yeah, maybe often, I should Yeah, why don't you start with that and I'll grab some show and tell.
1: Okay. Yeah, so um, you know, basically people are aware of what ROM hacks are. And, you know, you just, you get the ROM, you know, dump, you either dump the ROM, or which is legal, or you download the ROM, which is not legal, and you go and modify it on your computer and then put it on a flashcart and play the game and it's modified. And everybody knows you can do that. And we want it to be very clear that that is not what we were doing. The cartridge is completely unmodified. The ROM is completely unmodified. It's a real cartridge, not a flash flashcard. And, um, and so that's why we we're really harping on this is unmodified hardware. This is an unmodified ROM. All of the custom contents, all of the you know interesting stuff happening, was being injected in live in real time through button presses by TaskBot. So you know that's that's why we were, we were doing that. I think we were almost too successful with emphasizing that this was an unmodified copy of the game because then people thought that everything that we were showing was beta content left in the cartridge, which is not true. Um, but we we you know, if you're seeing crazy impossible stuff on the screen and you're seeing a copy of Ocarina of Time, you're most people are gonna assume either that it's modded, which it wasn't, or that this was actually all in the game, which it wasn't. And so because what we were doing was in the middle, we, we you know, we have to we have to talk about those.
0: How do you explain that? Because you're saying it's not modded, but it's also not all um content that was originally in the game. Like what's the best way to explain that? Uh, to people who may not understand what you mean by that
1: right so it's um you know the, the first thing just to say there is that this isn't like oh you don't understand this this is this that that distinction and this blurry line here that is the core of what we are doing the fact that arbitrary code execution lets you run your code in the context of the game without having modified anything about the game in advance no ROM mods, no, you know, no soldering, no flashcart, no nothing like that. But then you do these glitches, and the game starts running your code. Your code is now running, so it's code that you made. You know, and then these are assets and data that we made that are now showing up on screen as part of the game. But they're also the the, the This is still all within the rules of speedrunning. Of you know, we haven't modified the console, we haven't modified the cartridge, we haven't modified the ROM. So when we say it's an unmodified copy of the game, the cartridge is unmodified. We haven't written anything to the cartridge. We are using exploits to change the memory of the console in real time to write data in and, and change things around and execute code in the RAM of the console. So one, one person actually, and several people have now been calling this a RAM hack as opposed to a ROM hack, which is normally when you, you know, modify a game in advance. This is not modified in advance. It's modified on the fly by Taskbox
2: yeah and what's what's fascinating here is as as soren mentioned we did kind of oversell it a little bit so here is the console i don't remember if we use this one or somebody else's i think we There's actually
1: mine which is right yeah. right down here off camera yeah. yeah
2: um so this is my nintendo 64. this one does have a minor modification to allow us to tap the red green and blue video signals but otherwise this is a completely unmodified console Um, I have my other cartridge just out of reach but I do have my version 1.2 cart it's okay it's basically the same thing point is it's an unmodified cartridge console and the one thing that we really should point out is it has the expansion memory pack in there that red cartridge there Uh, that red pack was what we wrote data into the original game did not use that space so that gave us some uh, scratch pad area to dump contents of Uh, of of our code into and execute it later that's how we were able to copy all of the voice acting and that was something interesting is a lot of people believed everything up to that point but then when it got to the voice acting somehow the voice acting was too much and (laughs) their suspension of disbelief popped in a way that was very fascinating we don't know why everyone seemed to glob on to the voice acting itself but um
0: So, if I could, real quick, um, what's the first bit of like custom content that shows up within the run? Because, like, like was the stuff with uh, like, oh, finally, you can you know beat the bunny man in a race, and then he'll fight you and exploding rupees. Was that custom content or
1: was that beta? I mean, I'm trying to figure certain things out here. So, all of the dialogue for the whole project was all custom the whole plot, the whole idea of you do this thing and then you go to the next thing and you go to the next thing, that whole plot tying everything together, that was all custom. Individual assets, individual pieces that were shown along the way were actual beta content. And some of it was actual beta content that was left on the cartridge. And some of it was things that were shown in old Nintendo advertisements that we recreated. So for example, the Triforce Room, the Triforce Room is not left on the cartridge, but Nintendo actually did make the Triforce Room way back when... And showed those advertisements of it and so we painstakingly you know modeled it again from scratch and you know made everything look as close as we could to that um so yes the the fight with the bunny man uh, the the running man um with the bunny hood and everything that that the, the fight was just made for entertainment that's not on the cartridge however the exploding rupee that he uses as a trap that exploding rupee is actually on the cartridge that is a real beta item um, so the first custom thing that we saw was the lost woods exit code So we had we added this thing where if you leave the Lost Woods through exits that correspond to the exits for the Lost Woods from Zelda 1 on the original Nintendo, then that will unlock the Beta Kokiri. And that code was completely made up by us. We needed a starting point to start introducing the beta content in a way that would allow people to suspend disbelief. Um, And then when we got to the Beta Kokiri, the Beta Kokiri 3D model and animations are actual beta content left on the cartridge, but the dialogue and the whole idea of giving him a butterfly and all of that was, you know, made by us to bring the contents to life.
0: So what's really interesting about this, this speed run you guys did at games done quick is that, you know, I think the, the way you guys promoted it was this is the beta showcase run. Uh, but then, you know, by the time we get to, um, I think it's the the chamber of sages or the, the sacred realm, I'm blanking on all the names in the game, but basically, you say, okay, this is not just a beta showcase. This is actually, you know, the the Triforce percent run. So, how did the idea come about um, for that final sort of sequence, and then the um, the really fascinating uh, Breath of the Wild sequence uh, at the end? Like, what? How did you write that, and and what went into putting that all together?
1: I think you've touched on a lot of lot of questions there. So. Let me go sort of one at a time. So, um, yeah, so we, we you know, we had to say that this was something in advance. We, you know, we had to advertise it to some extent to get the, you know, to get the people to show up and watch it, to get the donations in that would lead to the donation incentive being accepted in the first place. Because, you know, if that we didn't happen, if we just said it was some Ocarina of Time thing and didn't do anything, then nobody would care about it. So... We had to say it was something we we didn't want to say, this is Triforce percent where we make all of your urban legends and dreams come true because we don't we want that to be a surprise. So, you know, we did showcase beta content. And so we said it's beta showcase. And, you know, we, we were very careful about how we worded things along the way of saying that. You know, this specific thing is beta content left on the cartridge, or this specific thing is beta content that was shown in early, you know, magazine articles or or advertisements or whatever. Um, but yes, people, you know, we were we were hoping that people would suspend their disbelief at the beginning, and of course, we told people that we were doing ACE. We explained arbitrary code execution lets us write our own code, and and we explained in some cases that like we used arbitrary code execution to to change this or patch this or whatever. Um, so. You know, people, but people basically got the idea that it was all content that was just sort of being, being re re brought to life, which is, you know, that is what we were doing, but there was also a lot of artistic liberties being taken along the way. But then towards the end, we wanted to start fading, you know, like, like, like audio acoustically fading. To more and more content that people would realize could not have possibly been on the cartridge this whole time. Um, so some people realized that when we were talking to the sages in the chamber of sages. Some of people realized that when we gave the little speech before getting the triforce, where we said this is really an unmodified cartridge, but all this is being done by controller and just by controller inputs. Some people realized it when the triforce is on screen and the text says you got the Triforce after 23 years, the dreams of millions of players around the world have finally come true, which we wanted to be very clear that, like, that's the screenshot that would get put around the internet with a link with the Triforce. And so we wanted the text on that to be text that could not possibly have been in the game cartridge because it's self-referential. It says 23 years later, which, you know, they couldn't have put that in 23 years earlier because they didn't know what the time was.
2: And um, yet we had so many people think that it was, even then... <laughs> Yeah, so many people even
1: then still didn't realize that this, you know, that that aspects of this were were uh you know created by us. And so then we thought, okay, well, by the time they see Breath of the Wild Link, then they'll know. Um, and then, you know, certainly by the time they see Twitch chat in the game, then they'll know. So, but you know, we we learned that um, you know, when when humans are presented with a a stimulus that is like so different than their expectations are, they will come up with the simplest explanation for how this is happening. And so the the most common idea was that everything up through getting the Triforce was completely real and all on the cartridge. And then the Breath of the Wild sequence, because it's so impossible that that must not have been done on the N64 at all. That must have just been a movie that we quietly switched to a video playback, and then we just play back that sequence. And so they gave us too much credit. For the first, you know, ninety percent of it, and then not enough credit for the last ten percent of it. So yes, the all of the Breath of the Wild content, that whole scene, even the Twitch messages, were all injected into the game's memory live through controller input by TaskBot, just like everything else. Everything was done the same way with with Ace. Um, and you know, how did we do that? Well, with the Twitch messages, we had scripts on the computer that were connected to Twitch API and pulling in the messages encoding them into a format that would get sent over the controller input by taskbot we had custom code running on the game card uh, on on the console that would then you know decode that render the messages sort of like you render text in a web browser they're not not exactly the same and then you know display them on the screen um, and the breath of the wild models we had a, a talented artist who did the model uh, reduction i rigged the models somebody else animated them i helped with the animation um you know, we got voice actors in to do the voice acting, recorded the, the voice lines, uh, you know, encoded them into N64 format, injected them through controller data. You know, we we you know we made it all in 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 the game just with with our with Ace, and that that's the whole idea is that you know Ace is usually used in speedrunning to just jump to the end of the game as quickly as possible and cut out most of the game. And in fact, a lot of people in various speedrunning communities won't even play the Ace categories; they'll play other categories. Such as you know, beat the game as quickly as possible, but you're not allowed to use Ace, or you know, defeat all the bosses, or you know, other other kind of categories, because they feel that Ace cuts out too much of the game and it makes it not fun. And so we saves the game. Well, in other
0: words, is how right. Some so think.
1: that that's like the the common way of thinking about it is like Ace is game breaking, and it and you know it is in the in the speedrunning context because it. But that's that it it's you know it's powerful. It gives you the power to do whatever you can imagine, or rather whatever you can imagine and then program and then inject. It lets you do any of that. And then most, you know, speedrunners will typically use that to just break the game. But we wanted to use that to make the game more complete than it ever was before. So
0: it's really interesting. I want to come back to the, the whole breath of the wild sequence um and some questions I had about it. But you know, I, I do like that. There was a lot of care into building up to that point. You know, uh, I remember. I think the point for me where I was like, "Oh, th- there's something going on here. This is this is like custom content." Is um, I think there's a point where you're talking to the the character Sheik, who is you know Zelda. You know, spoiler alert, people. But um, you know, when 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 the question comes up, "Are you a boy or are you a girl or are you Zelda?" I was like, "Oh wait, th- this is this is wild." This, And you do really slowly sort of build to this point where you realize you're not just watching a beta showcase. And I want to congratulate you both for the care you put into that and the rest of the team as well.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh,
0: With the Breath of the Wild um, sequence, where uh, for people that don't know, you have the Breath of the Wild style graphics. You know, uh, Link is seeing the future. That's his wish after he gets the Triforce. And then you have everyone type in here together in the chat and that starts appearing on the screen. So I, I I guess I was wondering, how was that accomplished? Like, I, I guess in, in a way, I do want you to get technical here and explain. So so how do those inputs that people did get get put into uh, the, the showcase?
1: Right, so I said a moment ago that there is scripts running on the computer that was connected to TaskBot that would read the Twitch API, read the messages, and code them into a format that would be sent over the controller inputs, into memory and then our custom code that we had injected on the, in the game decoded them and showed them in the sky. Um, so, you know, I can, I can go into more technical detail if you'd like, but I thought that would be probably enough for, for the people. But if you want to, if you want to talk about like the, the plot and emotional aspect of that, is that something you want to hear about there? Yeah,
0: that w- that was really interesting to me because I, I do think the, there was a lot of effort put into, you know, really pulling on our heartstrings in a way because it was seeing something that no one ever thought they would see
1: yeah i mean so i was planning earlier drafts of what would happen during the ending for more like a year and a half before the event um and then the that final version of how it was was in planning for like and development for like eight months or something so yeah basically the idea was you know link well it it even starts before the triforce or it starts as the the triforce the idea is that you know link uh we 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 do arbitrary code execution, and then we get the ability to do whatever we want in the game. Uh, but we're going to do something constructive with that, and we we want you know to make these urban legends come true. We want Link to get the Triforce. Link getting the Triforce means that Link has the ability to do whatever he wants in Hyrule. That's it's you know grants your wishes basically. So uh, when At the beginning, when we did the ace setup and then have control of the game, at that point, effectively, Link has already become a god. But it hasn't happened in a way that Link can understand. So we make the plot with all the beta content, and the the plot actually makes Link earn the virtues of power, of, of courage, power, and wisdom in that order. Uh, which are the three virtues that need to be in his heart in balance in order for him to be eligible to claim the complete Triforce when he touches it. So, you know, 90% of the plot is Link has already become a god, but he doesn't realize it yet. And so we have to make it concrete in a way. Well, we don't have to. We we wanted to make it concrete in a way for him to understand. And of course, you know, take the players on, uh, you know, the viewers on a ride um, with that. But then we have Ace, we have the attention of, you know, hundred more than a hundred thousand people watching this live, and Link has the Triforce and the ability to make Hyrule whatever he dreams. So, what do we do with that power, with that goodwill, with that attention from everyone? We, you know, we had we had a number of ideas, but we eventually settled on have Link warp to the future, become his Breath of the Wild self. So we're showcasing Link's power but also showcasing our ability to get more modern graphics to run on the N64. Um, and then, you know, see Breath of the Wild Zelda. Zelda's wish to see, Zelda says, uh, Link, uh, the basic, basically, you've, you've brought a lot of people together. And it's so, I'm so glad to see this. And that's, you know, all of the people that Link through the Legend of Zelda series has brought together over all of the years and Link and Zelda in this situation are sort of in a sort of a meta situation where they're not really in within the confines of the game anymore but they're still sort of within the game so they're sort of in between levels of reality here and Zelda wishes to see all of the people that Link and that they too had brought together and so then we make it possible for the fans to write the message of here together and for the characters themselves to react to the fans. So the fans get to see their own names in an unmodified copy of Ocarina of Time, which of course everything on screen is completely custom at this point, but it's still the real original cartridge. And not only do they just see themselves on screen, because we could have done that at any time, just you know stop the game and start drawing text on the screen, but it's actually in the game world and the characters respond to it. Zelda says, you, you asked to see our future, here it is. So then the idea is that Link asking to see the future, it's not just Link's own future is becoming Breath of the Wild, but it's the future of Zelda. The future of Zelda is the community, is the fans. That's the message we wanted to give. And then finally, for one last little, you know, tug on the heartstrings, we give Link a Japanese voice for the first time in the franchise. You know, Link does not speak. He's a he's a mute character, a silent character. He's not actually supposed to be mute. He just doesn't speak on screen um
0: well we in, a in a voice. way link is like he doesn't speak because you know
1: you're the he, he sort he's of represents
0: here. the yeah. player yeah
1: yes yeah. he's the you know the incarnation of the player in the in the game world so that's why you know and, and again we we think that that is a wise decision from a, a game design standpoint um so we're we're not saying that because we gave link a voice we want link to talk all the time but it's at the very end it's his la- you know last little thing and he says basically uh, thank you, Zelda. Let us create the future together. So it is, you know, asking the fans to and the community to create the future of Zelda, uh, and you know, just generally um, ask, you know, asking everyone to to come together for the future together and acknowledging how much you know Zelda means to us and how much we can give back and you know be a part of Zelda in the in the you know, the franchise in the future.
0: It's interesting to me too because I think the story has a lot of um. I don't even know that it's like metaphorical, but like Link becoming a God and, you know, the player has in a way become a God because, you know, they you've taken control of the cartridge entirely. Um, And also I know you guys have talked about, you know, um, it's interesting that there's three people um, doing the showcase Uh, you, you guys and then save state and you could look at that as representing the different aspects of the Triforce, right?
1: Yeah, we, we thought of that, that, um, you know, safe state represents courage because they are the one with the ability to actually do the incredibly difficult setup and they incarnate as Link and, or Link incarnates as them and, you know, actually plays through the game. Uh, Dwango represents wisdom as, uh, you know, he was keeping me tempered and, you know, keeping the project focused and on track at times and also bringing in all the resources of, you know, knew knew a lot of people acting as liaison to Games Done Quick and so on. And I was representing Triforce of Power in terms of wanting to get the Triforce at any cost. Um, And, you know, hopefully I have, uh, you know, Triforce of Power does not mean evil. It means, you know, power. And hopefully I have, uh, you know, adequately shown to the world that my, what I do with that kind of power is is you know steward the 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 project the intellectual property in a way that is you know meaningful to people and and constructive and creative.
0: Just a, a few more quick things here. Uh, how much money did you guys raise for doctors without Borders by doing this?
2: So there's a couple of different answers to that. The thing that was interesting about this from the beginning was I really wanted to make something that, we could use as a donation incentive. So the way Games Done Quicks works, if you're not familiar with it, it's one person after another playing a video game as fast as they can with their human skill. Well, viewers are able to watch for free, but they can donate for various incentives, like having them play with only one hand on the controller or play with a blindfold on. Some of the crazy things that have happened at Games Done Quick events include someone getting a donation incentive, Zalard one in particular, to play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out with a blindfold on, and he beat Mike Tyson just listening. So these are the types of incentives that are really common in Games Done Quick. And I really wanted to take what I knew was going to be monumental and make it a donation incentive that people would need to donate to see. There's some risk there. Not much, but there is some risk. Having said that, we put this out there. Games Done Quick selected it as bonus content for a donation incentive at $225,000 for that donation incentive. The donation incentive was handily met, although it might not seem like it in some ways. It was met with plenty of time to spare and a lot of momentum. Went over at over $228,000 before they stopped it and um, moved donations onto other incentives. But that alone was huge. On top of it, the shirt that Soren is wearing right now, every shirt had $5 of, of each shirt go to Doctors Without Borders as well. And that contributed another almost $14,000, or actually more than that, uh, to Doctors Without Borders. So it was truly the biggest thing that we have ever done with the Taskbot banner. And I can again say unequivocally, it would not have been possible without the heart and passion of Soren driving this project forward.
1: And the rest of the team, of course.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: And it wasn't just you, you guys in Safe State. There were uh, other people involved too, right? Oh, there was yeah. over
2: twenty-five people. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There was. I know I'm heaping a lot of praise on Soren, and that's because Soren was the glue that held everything together, in the sense of the the directorial role of knowing what he wanted to see this become, and sometimes picking up the slack when people burned out. When you're working with volunteers, sometimes they have life events and emergencies, and you have to pick up the slack. Uh, so I do give him a lot of praise, but. Unequivocally, we would not have been able to do this without the help of a huge number of people from a wide variety of walks of life and talent.
1: Yeah, and also at the at the end, we injected after the whole Breath of the Wild sequence, we injected a new end credit staff roll sequence into the game where we credited, you know, ourselves and the whole team that that contributed to this. So if you watch the watch the event, you'll see on screen, still in an unmodified copy of the game, all of our names and everything.
0: So I- I, this may sound like a dumb question, but how I guess I think people are really surprised with that Bre- Breath of the Wild sequence. And I'm sorry to keep going back to it, but it's fine. So, how do you how do you how are you able to get the graphics from Breath of the Wild into an N64 cartridge? I don't, yeah, ah,
2: now we're getting so, into the stuff that Nintendo actually cares about.
1: So, um, few answers to that. So, uh, first thing, it is not the actual exact same. Graphics and models from Breath of the Wild. It is uh, they've been reduced heavily. So uh, Breath of the Wild Link on in on the Switch or on the Wii U is something like ten thousand triangles, and Breath of the Wild Link in Triforce Percent was seventeen hundred triangles. But Adult Link in Ocarina of Time is five hundred triangles. So it is still you know three times more complex than the normal contents in in Ocarina of Time, and it's a similar situation for Zelda. Uh, though she got even more reduction because she's a lot more smooth, so you can approximate it better. Um uh part two to that. So yes, we had we had someone, um, someone on our team uh took the models from Breath of the Wild, uh carefully by hand, partially by machine and partly by hand, reduced the models uh to more acceptable size for N64. I rigged them, someone else uh, did most of the animation. Um then part Cut two, out there is the for a second shit. there. So you may have. Yep. Oh, sorry. You said
0: someone else, I think, and I think you were going to say they did the animation. Could you repeat that?
1: Right, right. So sorry about that. So, uh, yeah. So um, another member of the team, Alley1234, did most of the model reduction. I did a little bit of that. I did the rigging. Um, another person, Unasog, um, uh, did mo- a lot of the animation. I did a little bit of the animation. Um, so, you know, that, that was how we got that content. Then, sort of, part two of the. Uh, you know, how did we get it to look like that is the cell shading. So I'm not sure if people know the, the graphical technique, but it's called cell shading. It basically means that when you have lighting, instead of the lighting be smooth, the lighting is done in steps so that you have, let's say, instead of like a smooth gradient, you'd have just one color and then a sharp line and then another color. Um, and that's used, it's like the graphical style of the Wind Waker, that's cell shading or of, you know, a bunch of, you know, anime and stuff like that. Um, and the N64 was traditionally thought to not be capable of doing cell shading, um, and I worked with a one of the top N64 programmers in the community, Glank, to develop a cell shading implementation for N64 in October 2021. And then in January 2021, two other people created two other completely different, unrelated cell shading implementations. Um, we still think ours is better, of course, but you know, kind of biased there, uh, but yes, yeah, so... Three different cell shading implementations got made within a few months of each other, despite, you know, 20 after 23 years of people saying that that was never possible. Um, So, yes, it's possible. We did that. We implemented that. That required some very low level patches to make that work. Um, And then just, you know, uh, we did some a lot of optimization on the scene, careful camera shots to try to make it not lag. And in a couple of places it does lag, we added code to check for the lag and then speed up the animations to compensate for the lag. So it doesn't just like slow to molasses. It it refreshes less often, but it still goes at the, the correct speed overall.
0: Last few things here. First, uh, what do you think the biggest... Well, I, I, guess, I guess I should ask it this way instead. What was the reaction... That you got at uh games done quick and what were maybe some of the positive reactions and maybe some of the misperceptions people had
2: i can take this one i'll start anyway i would say the reaction was absolutely amazing uh there was a feeling inside of the room that you can't explain video does not do justice to what i felt sitting in that seat and even though i was supposed to be We were all supposed to just be sitting there during the ending section and not reacting. I couldn't help it. I was overwhelmed with emotion. I'm just like, yes. (laughs) Uh, But it was just a feeling in the room. You can't even begin to describe it. You can get hints of it. There are earlier hearkenings to it. For instance, earlier on in the run, we show the unicorn Mm -hmm. fountain. And you can audibly hear someone (laughs) yell, what? (laughs) It's just amazing seeing the level of uh, of response from the audience. So the in-person experience was extremely moving, but I didn't expect it to translate online. And then we put the video up. Uh, you, well, Gims and Quick put it up. We put it up on our YouTube channel as well. The, my uh, Dwango AC Keeper of Task Spot channel. And in every place that it, it, it existed, the number of comments that said, this made me cry. This brought me to tears. I'm not crying, you're crying. The amount of emotional outpouring of people saying this completed everything I had been looking for or other similar wordings was way more, more than I expected. Yes, there were some negative comments about people feeling feeling they had been misled. But overall, the overwhelming response was one of this is like a piece that I didn't realize was missing has been filled in. And I'm going to hand it over to Soren to talk a little bit about the aspect behind that that's probably the most fascinating.
1: Um, I'm not sure exactly what aspect you're talking about,
2: Dwingo, but... but Probably the the, almost like the the completion, the karma aspect almost. So, I mean, I I sort of
1: touched on this earlier um, in the conversation, but um, because the game always felt unfinished to people um, in various ways, like the plot, you know, you get to the ending, the ending is great, but it's not the perfect... Everything goes wonderfully, kind of ending that you would might it's hope for. A pretty sad ending if you end up thinking about it too long. <laughs> yeah, it's sad for Link. It's you know, it's good for the people in the world for one you know for one of the timelines. But anyway, um, you know, because of all of that, basically people had all of these attachments to the game that you wouldn't necessarily have if the plot was fully all you know 100% resolved and 100% you know all the loose ends tied up and. Um, you know, th- those attachments were in the form of these urban legends and people's connection to it and everything. And so people always wanted to see this ending. And then we made it and we made it without modifying the game in advance. So it's sort of half, you know, half legitimate. Um, and, uh, you know, then then we were able to sort of resolve these attachments that everyone had. Like, I I know that, you know, I I felt a certain kind of attachment to this game for all of these years that became the impetus for this project for me and then now that this is done I don't feel that level of attachment anymore and that I like I think that's a good thing um it's not that I don't love the game I still love the game but this this sort of needing more out of it we we filled that need for people um and yeah so like you know overall as in terms of the reaction online I would say it's like of the comments are saying, and and, you know, if you, if you make something and 95% of the comments are saying, this is the, one of the best things I've ever seen like this. And then 5% of the comments are saying, you lied to us about the beta content, you know, screw you for, for misleading us all. Um, You know, I think that's still a, I think that's still a pretty, a pretty substantial win on, on, you know, on the impact.
0: Do, Do you think there's also people that misunderstand? Because I saw, uh, Someone made a video about the the bunny man, and if you can really beat him and they said, oh, that that triforce percent run, you, you can't beat the bunny man. that was just fake what they did and I, I'm not sure I would describe it as fake
1: um but well, so and again, I mean, this goes back to the the core of what makes this interesting and why we did this is that arbitrary code execution allows us to put things into the game which were not developed by the original developers, but we haven't modified anything in advance and we're still following the rules of speedrunning in terms of not modifying the rom not modifying the hardware or whatever so this is really just a very very elaborate glitches that allow us to construct the whole running man battle and then beat him so yeah it's not canon in the sense that it's not was not intended by the developers but there's plenty of glitches and other techniques and stuff that you can do in the game which are not intended by the developers but are still part of the complete totality of the game so once you get ace that just gets opened up to the world and now you know we we did that part so when you say you know people misunderstood well yes people misunderstood um it was we did our best and we have been doing our best since the run happened to clear up misconceptions um but yes, in one sense, people understanding is our responsibility because it was our project. On the other hand, we couldn't have done anything remotely like this without having people misunderstand. We couldn't have done any sort of ACE without people seeing it and being like, well, I don't understand what ACE is. This must be, did they hack it? Did they change the ROM? Did they, you know, whatever. So there's no way we could have avoided all of that and without just not doing the project. And we thought it was too good to not do. So that's you know that's that's why we why we did it and why we're um, you know happy with it. and again the, the 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 response has been uh, very positive overall um, and as far as people you know feeling um, feeling misled about the beta content and stuff you can think of this like a magic trick right. You you go to a magic show, or you just see a street magician magician out on the street, and they have you know a person in this one of those uh, you know things, and they say, "I'm going to saw this person in half," right? And then they do it, and they separate the parts, and the person is in two halves, and then they put him back together, and then you know the person comes out whatever, and then somebody tells them, "Oh, that was a magic trick," and then if they say, if the person responds to that as, "Wait, I actually thought that I was going to see this person get sawed in half." I actually thought I was, you know, I actually thought that they did that and then they're disappointed that it was a trick. Well, okay, but like you can't, you know, you can't actually saw the person in half without killing them. So, you know, it's that that's if if people were 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 so thoroughly tricked by the magic that they 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 believed everything was real, well, then we did I guess we did a, a good job.
0: I have to ask, because it just um, sort of popped into my head, and I don't have this in the outline, but could something have gone wrong during the run? Like, if 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 Save State would have pressed the button wrong, could that have jeopardized the run?
1: Yes. Um, wow. So for the ACE setup at the beginning, um, Save State practiced it. You know, they they are, a, they are a world record holder for Ocarina of Time, so they're quite good to start with. While we were at GDQ, they practiced it every day, and then the day before, they did it 13 times in a row, successfully before they finally made a mistake. Um during the live event, they actually made a couple of minor mistakes. And they actually like went back into a house and reset and redid one of the parts. Um and we just ignored it in the commentary and just pretended it was all fine. Um so that's part of the answer is that there were, you know, ways that they could reset and do over parts of it without losing all the progress. So thing number two is that we made a save at one point during the um during the setup, and we if we had crashed, we could have just reset and gone back to that save. Then thing number three is that once we, um, you know, if, if sometime later during the run, if some code went wrong or something crashed and we had to start over, what we would have done is done the ACE setup again, then waited around for a couple of minutes for things to inject. We had a bunch of button combos set up in part of our arbitrary codex, you know, we made all kinds of changes to the game with arbitrary code execution. We had button combos set up that we could warp to later points in the plot. So we wouldn't have to actually had to play through everything again. We could have just warped to later. But of course, that would have destroyed some of the suspension of disbelief. So we're glad that that didn't happen. Um, and also after after the event at, um, you know, Dwango has shown this at uh, several of their events um, and we ran into a bug the crash, or the game crashed randomly in, in Zora's domain several months or earlier, and we weren't able to figure out why. And then uh, just like a month ago, after the event happened, the game crashed again in the same place. And I was able to get the stack trace and the registers and everything. I found out that there was a bug in my code that would trigger one out of every 16 times. There's one out of 16 chance for this to happen and to crash. And it didn't happen during the live run, because there's you know 15 out of 16 chance that wouldn't happen. But that was that bug was there during the live run and we could have hit it and it would have, you know, would have crashed and made it not not be as great of an experience for
2: everybody. You're getting a bit of an exclusive sneak peek on this and or back behind the scenes. I don't think we've talked about this a whole lot.
0: Any, anything else you want to add there, Dwango? Uh,
2: that was definitely a a wake up call of, wow, we did get kind of lucky. But at the same time, we also rehearsed a lot. And I will again thank Soren for this, although there were times there was a lot of conflict around how much rehearsal we were doing, it was worth it. We were very prepared for virtually every eventuality. Even if we had hit that one in 16 chance, we had a path to try again that would have cost a few minutes and GDQ would have been unhappy, but it, it would have been fine. But we didn't. We had everything went right. Even the things that didn't technically go right were so minor. Like the he, he mentioned earlier that safe state had gone into the house a second time to kind of reset the commentary doesn't mention any of this unless you intimately knew what we were doing it looked like it was just part of the setup oh we just need right. to do, do this and then clear it and then do this and, and that
1: was like a 20 second time loss so it didn't really yeah. matter anyway
2: it wasn't that big of a deal
1: i'll mention one other thing that that actually went wrong Um, is, or maybe Duango can can talk a little bit more about this, but when when we had here together and we had all the messages coming in, um, they weren't supposed to come in in waves like that. They were supposed to come in just continuously sprinkled in the sky. What happened is that we were overloading Twitch's message servers and they switched to a batched mode where they would just send chunks of messages at a time. And since we had, you know, we tested it extensively, but we never tested it with, hundreds of messages per minute because we don't have a way to do that. So it that just happened and you'll see us re- react to it of like oh they're coming in like that and I was just feeling like okay whatever it's good enough it's still working people are still seeing their names it's good enough I'll you know I'll count this as a win. Um do you have anything to say about that Dwango?
2: I was a little bit like oh okay yeah I've seen this before I know exactly what this is because we've broken Twitch chat more than once. <laughs> So I wasn't too concerned. Uh and in fact, you can see I just start to get really overwhelmed with the raw emotion of everyone from around the world who has been held back from being at these events in person due to the pandemic, being able to come together, even if they're at home, being able to connect and say, I am here together. And it was incredibly, incredibly powerful. People cheering in the room, people responding online very positively. When you go back and read the chat log, there's a lot of confused people, but they're having a great time. <laughs> and it's amazing. So I
0: I know I'm, I'm trying to wrap up, but I, I had uh, two more questions. and I'm sorry if I'm keeping you too long. No, uh, go ahead. Oh, you're go not ahead. keeping
1: us. Yeah, okay. We're fine. I,
0: and I, we don't have to get into this if you don't want to, but I'm assuming some people will be asking me if I don't ask. Um, what... Was there any concern about how Nintendo would react to, to this? I guess is what I wanted the to answer ask. is
2: yes. Yes, there was absolutely concern uh, for me. I'm putting myself at great risk when I, I tackle something that is going to irritate Nintendo because I uh, I'm showing up on stage and doing everything they do not like. If, if it were any other situation, if I were distributing a lot of the stuff as as a, a file online that people could easily download, there's a lot of stuff we have done in the past that's kind of sketchy. For instance, we took the game Super Mario Bros. and put it inside of Super Mario World. We started playing Super Mario World, triggered a glitch, and put the entire Super Mario Bros. game inside of Super Mario World. And I still have that. And technically it is floating around, which is a little suspect. It's the entire original game in the format of how you would have buttons pressed on a console or on a controller port connected to a console to be able to play it. And that file is still technically out there. I was really worried that Nintendo was going to come after me for that one. This one is a lot different because we're not talking about a game that came out in the 90s and a game that came out in the 80s. We're talking about a uh a game that uh was was quite some time ago uh i'm sorry i'm sorry let me try this again we're talking about one game from the 90s and breath of the wild which is from you know right now (laughs) right now and uh that's that's a lot riskier nintendo cares about breath of the wild they're actively selling the switch and you can still go to a store and buy breath of the wild so the fact that we took breath of the wild characters and put them into this game meant that distributing this was extremely risky so we made the choice not to
1: we were just to be clear we're distributing all of the content that our team made um but not any nintendo assets like the breath of the wild characters or any textures from ocarina of time or anything like that so um Yeah, and and also just like so just to 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 step back a minute, um, you know, playing a game, pressing buttons on the controller very quickly, that is, you know, there's there's nothing illegal about that, regardless of what the you know, what what you end up doing. You end up doing glitches, you end up breaking the game, there's you know, there's nothing illegal about glitching a game, there's nothing illegal about speedrunning. We're talking about like assets that became part of the presentation that we that we were using. But yeah, um, I mean the, the the two basically the two th- steps that we took to try to avoid issues was one keeping this under wraps in advance. We didn't advertise what this was going to be. We wanted to make sure that we got to the finish line of having the GDQ presentation without having any problems. And if there were problems after, well, you know we have to deal with that. But that was you know that was that was the primary thing. And then also the second part is in terms of what we released, we needed to make sure that everything that we were releasing. Was not Nintendo's copyright. It was all stuff that we made. You know, the custom custom content we content that we made, the code that we wrote, things like that. That are all you know, not Nintendo's copyright. We can release that. There's no problem there. We didn't release anything that Nintendo owns. So you know, we should be good on on the release side.
0: Yeah, and I, I would hope Nintendo wouldn't get too mad about this. It was for charity, for God's sakes. That that's my view. But, uh, in closing here, uh, I want to come back to something you had mentioned, Soren, which is that you know, a lot of people view ACE as breaking a game. And it's funny because I, before I did this show, I was talking to one of my friends who does game development and they were uh, saying to me, oh yeah, that ACE stuff, that's just pressing buttons real quick to to glitch the game. And there's nothing more that it can do than that. But I think, and this is why I wanted to have you both on the show. I'm really fascinated when a group of people, in this case, a grassroots campaign of people who had committed themselves uh, to making the dreams of these Zelda fans possible, uh, when they can come together and use something like ACE to create a completely new experience within an old game. And I find things like that fascinating and very heartening. I I think it says a lot when uh, people can come together at a grassroots level and do that. So I guess what I wanted to close on was understanding this project that you guys did as a sort of game changer in a way. Because to me, it is a game changer because we go from thinking ACE can only, you know, break a game through glitching it and, you know, oh, you, you can fight Ganon quicker uh, than than you could or were meant to uh, by the developers. But what you have done here is you've creatively added to the game in a way. And I, I just wanted to really hone in on that point, um, if we could, uh, maybe you guys could comment on the sort of adding to a game creatively
2: using AC and how that's a bit of a game changer. I use the term transformative art. And in many ways, a tool-assisted speedrun is a transformative artwork. It's taking the original game, playing it very fast, doing things that would otherwise normally be impossible, and making something new out of the original game. And because of Disney and some other aspects around copyright law and various other aspects of legality, it's... Tricky, we'll <laughs> phrase it that way. Uh, we have to dance through a couple of hoops to keep things on the level and on, on, on le- above reproach, basically, is the terms that I use. I, I don't want to be doing anything that isn't above reproach. Um, it's, it's tricky with this because if we were in any other time but now, uh, we would have a number of years where it would be something that was exclusively sold by a company, some reasonable number of years, something like 14 years, 12 years. And then it would be possible to make a transformative artwork. And unlike the rest of history, the last hundred years or so have completely changed that. We now can basically never in our lifetimes touch these games legally and distribute them. We can still do these things and show them, but we can't distribute them. And so there's, there's some aspects of that that are, are rather tricky. And maybe you have something to say about that too, Soren.
1: I think JG was looking uh, not at the copyright aspect, but at the idea of uh, you know using ACE to create rather than destroy aspect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I,
0: I wanted to get into that more because so what I mean just to put a fine point on it, what you guys did it reminded me of. Um, I'm big into the whole uh, fan editing community when it comes to movies, and I'm amazed at what some people can do uh, to edit a movie, and and they almost can completely change a movie. You know, I've seen. Uh, fan edits of movies like Jaws, where they're able to add in new elements and turn it into a grindhouse movie, and I'm just I'm I'm always in awe of what people can do, just at a grassroots level to like creatively expand an already existing piece of artwork.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. So I mean, we true. we, yeah.
1: sorry. Yeah. So I mean, we've talked about through this whole this whole time about where that came from for me, about the beta content, wanting to make people's dreams come true, and everything. As far as where this looks to the future. I think people in the speedrunning community already had the idea that ace could be used for things other than just get to the end of the game quickly um you know when ace was first found in ocarina of time someone asked in in a discord forum oh can you you know do you think we could use this to to beat ganon more quickly and the person the next person replied you could use this to replace ganon with patrick star from spongebob um and you know, so yes, we did something like that. We wanted to make it more, uh, you know, we stayed away from memes on this. We could have done memes. We were very tempted in some cases, but we we wanted to make it something very serious and very meaningful. Um, I think now, you know, if Ace is discovered in another game, people will be thinking just as much about what can we use this creatively, as compared to what can we do, you know, with uh, what can, how can we get to the game faster. Um, the tricky part is that. There's not many people in the world who have the technical ability and also don't have the speedrunning ability like me. <laughs> so I don't have the speedrunning ability um, who can make something out of ACE, but not use it to get a world record. Because if you can use, if you have the ability to use ACE to get a world record, you're going to want to get the world record because then you're the best at the game in the world. Um, so uh, and, you know, to make Triforce sure Percent, this took two and a half years by a team of 25 people. Um, there's, you know, I'm I'm not expecting that there will be many other projects. I'm hoping there are many other projects like this, but I'm not really expecting that.
2: But it future. has
0: opened up, up a door of possibilities.
2: Yeah, and certainly more yeah, familiarity. I, I would we like can point it too. Back <laughs> <at> it. <laughs> yeah, same. sorry. I, I want to see more stuff like this happen because there are so many amazing games out there that this kind of treatment would be great for. Everything from... Oh goodness. Uh the Pokemon series is ripe with stuff. The Smash series, there's so many good series out there that that would benefit from this kind of fan love. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do it in a way uh that is art and we figure out a way to not irritate people cuz I don't want to get sued.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and uh you know, one thing that one of the reasons that we released our code and tools that we developed for this game uh was so that people could in the future do other you know, quote unquote ROM hacks of Ocarina of Time as a speed run without modifying the ROM in advance. Um, and uh, seeing the uh, the way that people in the within the Ocarina of Time community ha- have responded, I haven't seen much interest from people in doing something at this level. I think people have gotten somewhat intimidated uh, by this project. Uh, we have been talking a little bit about, can we do the same thing with Majora's Mask? Because the same the, the same exploit the same ace exploit the exact same thing works in Majora's Mask. Um, of course, a lot of the contents of what you would do with the code are are completely different. Um, but you could you could do the, the same basic starting point in Majora's Mask. Um, but it's a you know it's a huge endeavor um, and it's tough to uh, invest the thousands of hours in this endeavor without having such a big emotional payoff expected at the end. So maybe we can do something like that with Majora's Mask. I hope that Ace will be found, for example, in Mario 64. I hope Ace will be found in Mario 64. I'm not sure if it will be because there isn't as much dynamic code allocation in that game. Um, But if it is, then we could put Luigi in Mario 64 um, and, you know, make another set of urban legends come true. There's some other games like that. Um, But yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, it does open up the door, but it's it's a difficult door to walk through.
0: Yeah, and I I hope by the way I hope you weren't annoyed at the way I, I framed it. It's like um, this, uh, when I said a, 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 that it was a grassroots thing, what you guys did, I wasn't saying it was like some willy nilly thing of people that didn't know what they were doing coming together and make it. So I hope my use of grassroots wasn't misinterpreted. Oh no there. no 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 You're offense
1: taken. And and I you know just to say you know I was a tools developer. I never made a ROM hack before this project. I so I was somebody who didn't know what he was doing at the beginning, and I had to learn you know, most of this. So, you know, that's that's not entirely unwarranted either.
0: <laughs> so I wanna I want to thank both of you. And I also I ha- I have to ask now because you you sort of alluded to it, what were the temptations of meme culture for this?
1: <laughs> so oh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean there's a lot of stuff, but one one that I'll just mention is um our publisher for the original soundtrack that we composed for Triforce Percent is Siva Gunner, uh, which is a YouTube channel and a community of uh, basically, video game music um, are, are uh, crap posting. I'm not sure if you want uh, uh, bad words on, on your podcast or not, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a number of musical memes that are very popular, especially in Ocarina of Time. And we could have sluck, snuck a couple of those in there in ways that most people wouldn't have noticed. Um, but, you know, we we were very we wanted to keep this very pure and very, you know, serious and, and also not break the immersion early because if somebody heard one of those and they got it, then, Oh, I guess this is all fake or whatever.
0: Anything you wanted to add to that Duengo or.
2: uh We had a couple of ideas. Um, there were a lot more things we could have done with chat. For instance, uh, there were, other references we could have made to other games when you have the power of ace you have the power to create anything you can imagine in that world and in that engine and anything you can
1: imagine and then build and And then then then
2: yeah yeah it's not not easy but you can do quite a bit uh so we could have trolled with completely different characters and in fact an earlier version would have been much more aggressive (laughs) in in its dialogue but uh we opted to keep it classy and i'm glad we did
1: yeah, and some people in the comments or in the Twitch comments, as we when we showed Link Warp to the Future and then we showed a new scene before Breath of the Wild Link appeared, there was a bunch of people saying, I'm ex- I'm expecting the opening of Skyrim where it says you're finally awake. Um, so like several people came up with that idea. We didn't come up with that idea. Of course, that would have been, you know, then it would have been not in any of the, we wouldn't have gotten the opportunities that we did in the ending if we had done something like that, but, you know.
0: Well, I want to thank uh, both of you, Soren and Dwango AC for coming on Parallax Use. How can my listeners uh, keep up with what you're doing now? And uh, do you guys have any other future projects that you'd
1: like to plug? Uh, Dwango, do you want to go first? Nope, I'll let you go first. Um, So I have a little bit of a social media presence, but not too much of a public social media presence. So um, if you want to look at my YouTube channel, I'm not trying to be a YouTuber. It's just random stuff goes up there sometimes. Um, youtubecom Soren, S-A-U-R-A-E-N. Um, but uh, you know, that's not a that's not a big thing. If I had to plug something for myself right now, I would say I am looking for work. I'm about to graduate with my PhD in electrical engineering. Um, if you or anyone you know is building, uh, you know, technical experiences, games, or tech for games, or anything vaguely related to this. Um, that have this level of emotional content or serious technical, you know, architecture kind of content. That's what I'm looking to get into in the future. Uh, you know, please reach out.
2: And how would they reach out to you?
1: Uh, you can Google me. Uh, there is a, I have my own website, sorin.com, spelled with my name spelled. It's a little difficult to spell. Uh, but yes, if you can, if you can spell my name, you can Google me and you can find many ways to contact me.
2: As someone who has worked with Soren for a very difficult long project, and we've overcome a lot of challenges, I can say that Soren has very good work ethic. So, full reference for me. Also, I would like to highlight: GetTriforce Link is the website for this particular project. You can head over there. Uh, Soren's put together a lot of resources along with other folks to talk about it and uh, link to other assets as well as videos of that run. So, if you have any interest in uh, the Triforce Percent Run, you can go there and also get a link to the video. Uh, that video is hosted on the uh Duango AC Keeper of TaskBot channel at youtube.com slash doangoac. You can also find me occasionally on twitch.tv slash when I'm able to stream. It's been a little while, but I hope to do that, do that again. But more than anything, if you're listening to this and you have any interest in tool-assisted speedruns being shown on real consoles for charity please head over to discord.gg slash taskbot the taskbot discord server is one of the best communities that you could possibly find we work hard to keep it that way and it's just a wonderful place with a lot of incredibly talented people who are way smarter than i am so head on over to discord.gg slash taskbot you can also find us at task.bot online thank you again Soren and Duengo AC.
0: Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sauron and Dwango AC of the Legend of Zelda Triforce Percent Showcase. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please, please, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash Parallax Views. And with that being said... Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Changing Jeralax View To Parallax with Jeralax Views with Jeralax views
1: The way out is not simply to say, don't do it. Just to prohibit it. If nothing else, if we don't do it,
0: others will be doing this, like right. So, you know, we have to
1: confront the problem. But
2: no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why
1: I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff,
0: I'm not afraid.